name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Very nice that you have been with us as we head into the month of December. And along with that, uh, thank you for, I guess, making time. Really, making time. We don't think, we often think of spiritual disciplines as the things we do individually or privately to help to consider the Lord, grow in the Lord. Uh, right, fight the flesh, battle with the flesh. We don't think of gathering together as a spiritual discipline, but it indeed is. Uh, getting up, getting here, almost on time, being apart, singing, using your voice, using your mind, uh, being an encouragement, all of this, the whole gathering is a discipline that we might grow in the Lord. That's really our, our longing, glorify Him. And we come to the end of the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for us. And as we get into that, uh, there's something I was taught years ago. It looks like that spot's not going. Oh, look at that. Look at that. It's almost gone. It'll be gone next time I wash this shirt. Uh, I have a folder. And a folder, it's a, a literal folder, not like a Dropbox drive. I have that too, but I have a literal folder, not an Evernote thing, of, of cards, notes. And I started that many moons ago as a pastor when my pastoral mentor of the time said, you're going to need a good things folder. That's what he called it, a good things folder. You're going to need a good things folder so that when bad things happen, you can remember that you're not a bad pastor. <clears throat> and so as I, get, I would get notes or emails, even not, like two emails, not a lot, uh, notes or emails that I wanted to not lose. Uh, I would print them out and put them in the good things folder so that they could just stay there. And every few years, I mean really, it's every three to five years, I might, I might be refiling and reshuffling. Uh, I'm still a paper folder guy as much as I love tech. Uh, I, I, you write a handwritten note and it's probably going to stay. Like it, it, it lasts. I don't save your text as much as I love you. And I text a ton. Uh, but they usually don't last, right? They kind of move on with the stream of consciousness. If you're going to take a time to write me a note uh, and it's not scathing critique, more often than not, it goes into the good things. That's why these folders don't get very full very fast because most of us don't take the time to do that for anybody, especially pastors. I'm kidding. I don't want a bunch of notes. But I use it to remember in those moments, how people remember me or think of me, just ways to encourage myself. Now, I have all the sympathy notes that I got from my church when my mom died. Uh, but also, when I was leaving five years ago, five, four and a half years ago, uh, while I was gone one Sunday, I think I was graduating or something like that, and the church secretly created a, like, hey, write Hans a note, and so they handed it to me at the, you know, when I came back for like the nine, we had two services, the nine o'clock service. And then, of course, if, you, if you're ever a part of a two-service church, you have to do it again and act as surprised the second time. Uh, so then they gave it to me again, but the second time I got to keep it. Um, and I think it was about a year ago, I was going through those notes, just reading them, reading what like kids in the church thought or reading what families in the church thought. Uh, and... And then what I, I started to reach out to them and, and, and go, I'll, I'll like text them a picture of the note or what their kid said four years ago and laugh at it. There were some people that wrote a note that became missionaries and 
uh, and, I, and I reached out to them, and, I, and I, was, I was like, hey, so are you on the field yet? Like, I don't even know. I know that this kind of started when I was leaving, but I don't know where you are now. And so they go, no, we're actually about to leave, and we'd love to add you to our list and hear what's going on. And so I'm like, of course I'd love to know that. So, you know, in the past 12 months, I got on their prayer list. I hear updates. I start to pray for them regularly. Uh, and, you know, it's just by thumbing through notes and reading what people said. Not for my ego, but to remember because it's interesting what, what, when you learn how somebody feels about you by what they say to somebody else. So I, one specific example, I could tell these stories forever, but that's not what we're here for. Um, I, I came into a situation pastoring where I made a transition in my role, and that transition in my role gave me care, in part, you know, in part care for a flock, both in teaching and in shepherding, that was relatively older than me by average age. A lot of grandparents, a lot of people who had been at the church 20, 30, 40 years, and I had not even been a believer that long. I wasn't even that old. And so when you're about 30, 31, and you're taking on a role where the people in the room probably are more mature than you are, uh, you, can, you can lead out of a lot of insecurity. I don't care how, how confident or cocky you are. You can lead out of a lot of insecurity because you realize how little you bring to somebody else's growth. Um, and you can have charisma, and you can have ambition, you can have all those things, but, but you, you don't have years. You, you, you don't have that. Uh, so they put me in this role way ahead of any, what any reasonable person would do, and, and I'm really grateful for it, and you know, it forces a lot of humility and a lot of dependence. But I know there's a lot of people who also just wonder about me, right? Like, 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 you know, you're kind of stepping in and they're curious about who the new guy is. Same thing happened when I came here. Uh, I read the emails, but, um, you know, especially people who had served at that church as elders, you know, years prior, decades prior even, and now I'm there, a new guy's there, and they're sitting there, you know, in their 70s wondering who this guy is in his young 30s coming in and what's he going to do. And you hear good and you hear bad, but it was funny, I, sometime about a year in, uh, this guy, Jack, I believe Jack has since gone to be with the Lord, emails Kevin, and Kevin's my boss slash mentor. When I say my pastoral mentor, it's often Kevin. So Jack emails Kevin, and he says, Kevin, because uh, we're at two campuses, right? Kevin's usually here, and I'm, at, I'm teaching at this one. He emails Kevin, you know, my member. He goes, you don't need to worry about us. Uh, Hans is, you know, and he listed these things. And then he ends the email with, besides, we love him. And Kevin sends that on to me, and you best believe that thing gets into like, you know, you just, to hear somebody go, you know, he's, 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 he's no longer just the young idiot pastor, now he's just a young pastor, and the idiot part's a little less present. And, and so it was kind of a, it was a move for me, and we had some really difficult, difficult times, but it was, so, uh, it was so meaningful and important for me to hear how somebody I admired felt about me. To the point that they wouldn't even just share it with me, they'd actually share it with somebody else. Like, hey, look, this is how I feel about this person. Now, I don't know if Kevin betrayed Jack's trust, they'll deal with that in heaven, to tell, then, then, then tell me, but I think Kevin sent along to remind me of like, hey, just, this is how you're being viewed. Because again, when you're in certain roles, you can lead out of insecurity and wondering if you're making any kind of impact. And so, as we end, come to the end of the high priestly prayer, but it's just Jesus speaking to his heavenly father, isn't it? I mean, he's, just, he's talking about the things on his heart closest to his death. Uh, we get to a spot 
and, and very many of us, just like we've done, break this prayer up into three parts. Jesus kind of praying for himself, Jesus praying for his disciples, Jesus praying for his disciples' disciples. And so, it, it, but really, we last week spoke about how even what he prays for his disciples are prayed for for us because we're being sent into the world, uh, just as his disciples are, that we have the Great Commission, we have the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to go do this. But we get this last little moment where he, he builds on something that he prayed for his disciples and now prays for all of those who believe. And we get to see that today. We get to see Jesus's good things folder for us. And we get to read it. And we get to hold on to, to in this moment before his death, what is he longing for for us? What is he praying to his heavenly father for for us? And it's so important as a church that we hang on to those things. Now, if you're in our reading plan, we're in the book of Revelation, and we also know Jesus sometimes has some feelings about churches that he is not too keen on. Uh, in this moment, though, it's a, it's, a, it's a desire that he wants to see through his disciples and the way that they would live and the ministry of the word that happens through his disciples that you and I are a part of. And so I don't have... I don't have a ton to say, quite honestly, in that regard. We'll illustrate it some, we'll talk about it some, but, but really, you already see it. He prays for unity, and he prays that the glory would be shared. So we're going to talk about those two things. We're going to hear what Jesus has to pray, uh, and just go, so, so what? What does that mean? That's, that's, really, that's really it. He prays for the unity of the disciples. He prays that they would understand, share in his glory. Uh, and he prays, or, and then from that we'll just go, so where do, we, where do we as disciples today who weren't there, weren't beside him, didn't know it, didn't experience it, where, where do we go with that? First thing's very easy. Jesus prayed for, I'll, I'll say it this way, supernatural unity. Supernatural unity for his disciples' disciples, right? So, so that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be unified. That's right there, the first request, verse, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, and these would be the 11 that he just prayed for, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21. That they may be one. All be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so they also may be in us. So he has a request. The request is unity. Remember as he prayed for his disciples, the request was for protection and sanctification. Now we get another request. He's asking for the unity of the future disciples, those who will be commissioned, those who will believe. And we're just weeks away from this happening. I mean, that's really where we are. We're weeks away in the chronology of the life of Jesus of this happening. Death, burial, resurrection, 40 days with his disciples, 10 days after his ascension. They wait, they pray, they watch. He says, wait for the Spirit. The Spirit comes on Pentecost 50 days later in total. 40 days with him, 10 days waiting, Spirit comes. And then the ministry of the church begins, and the mission of the church is there. And that's what we read in the book of Acts. That's what we're still living in today, that continued ministry of the Holy Spirit as uh, his church, making disciples of all nations. And he prays in this moment that we would be unified. And he gives the basis of that unity as the relationship that the Father has in the Son. We talked about this. The reason that he can use his relationship as the basis yeah, I know very often we go, how come our marriage can't be more like this person's marriage? Or how come you can't act more like this person? We get very comparative. And the only time comparative, like, comparison like that is not sinful is when Jesus is like, I wish that they could be like us. 
like that, that's like, 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 you know, if only we could be more like the relationship between the father and the son. Like that's really what we have. Now, well, if only you could be like this. If only you could be like that, right? We need a little bickery and complaining about that. But Jesus goes, I pray that they would be like us, like the relationship between the father and the son. And so before we go down, because if I said, in what ways? If I just asked this, oh, in what ways do we need to be unified? You guys are going to have all kinds of ways that you think the church needs to be unified. I understand that. Well, a few things come to mind as we look at the Gospel of John. John, if, if Jesus is praying this, let's first look to John to go, what does that unity mean? Because I bet many of us run to theological unity, meaning like, hey, how do you view the gifts of the Spirit? Or how do you view the end times? Like We run to all of these things that weren't developed at the time Jesus was praying this. So let's look at the Gospel of John. Let's figure out how Jesus spoke about the relationship between the Father and the Son to get an idea at the type of unity that the disciples would be thinking about, okay? First, I'll put it this way. Uh, there's a unity of love, okay? They, they perfectly love each other. John 3.35, I'll read it for you. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Father loves the Son. Now, we can read that in other places. For God so loved the world. But but what do we have? There's love between Father and Son. So there's unity there in how they love one another. Now, this makes sense if you've been with us in this passage. John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus teaches on love. He goes, this is how I want you to serve one another. New command I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. We talked about how love was not the actual Uh, new command. It's the just as I have loved you. It's the fuller revelation of the work of the son, the death that he dies, the recognition of just how far that love is supposed to go. That that's the new way we understand love. It's not just in being loving, but loving as Christ has loved. Anybody at any time in any era would, would say that love is a pretty good virtue. But loving as Christ has loved is different altogether. And so there is a unity of love. So then that they may be one surely means that disciples should be loving together. That we should love one another. That we should be interested in one another. That we should be diligent and glad to serve one another. That we should look to do it. Because we have the connection already with our Heavenly Father and the Spirit. And thus, as we see that relationship and we recognize the empowerment that we have from the Lord, that the way in which we love each other is something that exists in the Father and the Son. And Jesus is praying that that would then be evident between his disciples. That he's given it to us. Your community group questions this week, if you do them, or if you want to just go see the discussion guide questions on our website. But uh, the, in the, talking about the Apostle Paul, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That that is something that is given to us by the Lord. And so we have it, and now it's like, well, Lord, how do I, how do I mirror what exists for me? How do I live out what exists for me? So there's a unity of love, clearly a unity of love that happens that Jesus says he has with the Father. There is also, a, uh, these two, next two kind of go together. But there's a unity of activity, meaning, you should know this from John 5, 19, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. They're unified in how they operate. 
As the Father does, so the Son does. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. Likewise, the Father loves the Son. There it is again. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. So unity of love, unity of activity. That Jesus is doing things in concert with his heavenly Father. There is unity of mission, which is tied to activity, but specific purpose for which Jesus is operating in the world for us and for our salvation. John 6, starting in verse 37, this goes through verse 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. These are people. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So you see that love, activity, mission, that all of these things between Father and Son, all of these roles, activities, however you might describe that, expressions come from Jesus' explanation of who he is, who his Father is, and how they relate. So I think first and foremost, when we think about the unity that exists for us, we need to look at the unity that exists between the Father and the Son, because they're, you can say that they're the template. Father and the Son, the template of how we are to express what Jesus is praying. So what does this mean? Well, I'll give you two examples, and then we'll go to the result. How does this affect us as Christ's disciples? Well, there are two ways to reflect the unity between the Father and the Son that we have empowered by the Spirit. Our love reflects the love that exists within God and the love that Jesus has shown us. We spoke about how this type of love is, I said, qualitatively different because it's not rooted in just love of the world. And very often, is love not manipulative in a worldly sense where we act in a certain way that might have the guise of love so that we can get then what we want out of a person? I would, you don't have to raise your hand because I know at least half of you probably feel this way, but how many of you think sometimes like when somebody is kind to you, you go, oh gosh, what do you want out of this? What do you need, like what do you need from me? I was actually texting with a friend this week and I said, hey, I'm going to say this one time and that's the only time I'm going to say it because uh, we were talking about maybe doing something together. I was like, I'm going to say this one thing, but you need to know that my relationship with you is not based on whether or not that one thing happens. So I'm done talking about it. Because I want you to know that when I talk to you, I talk to you because I love you. I don't talk to you because I need something from you. But we know how it goes when the phone rings or the text message happens or the email goes ding and you go, this person, especially if there's some per- certain people in my life where I look at my phone and I go, oh no, oh no, what do they need? And it's a whole bunch because I, you know, I'm an iPhone standboy, whatever, like it's a whole bunch of blue bubbles that you've sent over the past like five months. And then there's the new gray bubble. And you go, they're first going to answer everything that I've been asking over five months. And then they're going to give me their request. And you know it. You know that's what's coming. Because, because the relationship is totally transactional. That's not the relationship that we are to have together. It's based in love. And when it's based in love, it is wholly sacrificial. The goal is what, how do I benefit you, not how do you benefit me? How can I care, love, and serve, and support you? Not how can you care, love, serve, and support me. But that is such a, such a countercultural, opposite way that this world thinks. Because our world will communicate self-protection. 
But love is not self-protecting. It isn't. It's giving. If Jesus were self-protecting, he wouldn't have died. But we receive more because he and his heavenly father are perfectly loving. They live this out for us. Let's think about our activity and our mission, the way that Jesus was heralding. If we know that Jesus is not going to lose any and that the Father is drawing some as mission continues, the Father's drawing and the, and the Son is holding, then that means that it's clear that we need to focus on heralding the work of Jesus for us. That that's the primary thing about which we speak. That's the primary thing about which we are concerned very quickly, we will run to secondary issues in church life or tertiary or whatever the word is for fourth. Quartiary, I'm making it up. We focus on, you know, like we said, gifts or aspects of end times as primary issues. However, unified around Jesus, the one thing that we know is who he is, what he's done, how he saves, and we want to first and foremost, first and foremost, Herald that message. Now, if you were with us recently, we, we've, we've expanded our doctrinal statement. So it might, might sound as if I'm going backwards. Well, hold on. You're going to say, like, we're up here, but then you actually add more precision to how your doctrinal statement is. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, well, as churches, we want to operate around a common understanding. But as we look at core, the core things that we hold to are the things that any Christian should hold to. And are there unique expressions that we hold to that we would want you to know about? Yeah, we're going to put our cards on the table and say, this is how we operate. But when it comes to mission, we want people to know the Lord, to delight in the Lord. I want them to be a part of this church. But ultimately, we want them to come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we know that this is important? We've got to look at the second half of verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, this is an interesting result it's not unity for unity's sake. It's not unity just to be together because that's nice. It's unity so the world may know something about Jesus being sent into the world. That the unity that we have, that the unity that we have together demonstrates something to the world. You see it again in verse 23. I in them and you in me and that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even, or uh, that, yeah, loved them even as you loved me. I have a story to tell about Christian here. You cool? He gave me permission, all right? I didn't know you were gonna be here so I was like, oh shoot, I have a story about you. You weren't supposed to be here today. Uh, so, can I still tell it? Yeah, he gave me permission. Uh, this is, this, but, but uh, I'm getting nervous, Christian. What? No, 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 no. He's very happy with this story. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he's fine with it. But my heart's beating faster. I got to say it right. Unity of mission so the world may know. True story, I'm preparing sermons in December of last year. I think it was around December of last year. We just started the Gospel of John. I have a Gospel of John commentary beside me, and I work at a Starbucks not, close to my, not far from my house. And the reason I work at that Starbucks is the cafe is almost never full. 
Good seating, big room, the staff is nice, I pray for them, I'm there. And I specifically, you're going to learn a little bit of my strategy here, Christian, I specifically plant myself in the same places so that I get to know a certain kind, like certain people. And when you're a professional Christian, you know, you can, you can, you can be around other, other Christians a lot. It's not really a desire of mine to be around you guys as much as I love you. Uh, you know, in the same way, you're probably going, I want to be around believers more. I'm like, I would actually like to be around people who don't know the Lord or are young in the Lord more than I want to be around people who are grumpy and old. So, uh, in the faith, grumpy and old in the faith. I'm not talking age, Donnie. You're very young at heart. And so I'm working there on John's sermons. And, you know, I work on sermons kind of in advance. And so I put the... Uh, I put my, I have a John commentary by D.A. Carson at my side, and he's learned a new business strategy to, to strike up conversations with people. So he's sweeping, and I'm there, and uh, he goes, hey, can I ask you a question, sir? I'm like, of course you can. You know, here I go, being, being uh, disrupted. And he's like, what's that book? And I'm like, that's a Gospel of John commentary. And he's like, well, why is the Gospel of John different? Than, like, why is the commentary different? Than, like, what's the difference between reading that and reading the Gospel of John. And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, you know, commentaries kind of help me, help us, people who are preparing sermons, teaching the Bible. Just be sure we haven't missed things. Uh, and they kind of help pull out some, you know, some, some people or peoples, a bunch of groups have, have come together and they have, you know, they, they've written and they understand history better, they understand the languages better. It just helps me as I'm preparing be sure I'm, I'm hitting the right things. Or if I'm not, I know why. So that's kind of what it is. And he's kind of sweeps, whatever else. And uh, So on Christmas Eve 2021, uh, I start praying for Starbucks Christian. There's a little way I keep up with things. And so I know it's Christmas Eve 2021. I might have prayed for him before, but I know it at least started on Christmas Eve. He came to the Christmas Eve service. I remember you being like, can I bring my, you're like, can I bring my family? I'm like, of course you can. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. So he's working, and he knows he's going to move. He's telling me stories about all these things that have happened previous in his life, right? Like, like I have a business mentor, and he's talking to me about the Jesus, and he's had this conversation and that conversation. He's just kind of on and on and on. Like, these people in his life are doing stuff. And clearly, I'm just like one link on the chain. I'm not, a, I'm not like the pivotal link. I'm one link on the chain. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, Lord, well, I'm going to start praying for a Starbucks Christian, and, and we'll talk about Jesus. And so seriously, you'd take breaks. Like, you'd, you know, you'd be done. Take, a, take, take, take your lunch. And he'd come, and he would... <laughs> Uh, he would just go, hey, Mr. Hans, because that's always what you call me. Uh, Mr. Hans, uh, can, I, uh, can I talk to you? Can, can we talk about something? And I'm like, sure, man. And he, opened, he brings his Bible down. It was big, too. Like, he, he slaps that thing down on the table. Not on his phone, right? Like, right, he's not a distracted reader. So he's like, hey, hold on. So what about this? Like, I'm reading this in the Old Testament. I'm seeing this. How does, how does this work? And how does that work? And how does this work? Are we still under the law? I mean, he's like, are we still under the law? Are we still this? Are we still that? What about the spirit? What about that? And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Uh, but, like, I don't have church folk who are that concerned about the questions that you're asking. Like, like the, the ones who've been around longer, let alone the ones who are kind of on the fringes of church. And so if you remember a Starbucks Christian, because you're in my phone still a Starbucks, uh, Christian Starbucks guy. Um, now, I name you based upon how I feel about you, so look out. Um, you're like, who's angry person? I'm like, oh, honey, 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 that's a, that's a mistake. Uh, <laughs> So we just talk, and you, and you move, you come, you come to the member class, but you were moving down uh, uh, farther to Houston, and so, so that was a cool little moment we had. We'd text sometimes, or talk sometimes, you'd have a theology question, like there was, uh, you know, we'd talk about the Lord, we'd talk about the Gospel of John, whatever else is going on, but clearly I'm just one guy amongst many, 
uh, goes to a church. I'd recommended a church uh, that he could go to where my friend pastors. I'd say, you're not too far from that. It's closer than the one you're looking at. I think you should maybe consider this church. I know the guy. Trust him. I'm big on trust. If I don't trust you, I don't talk about you. If I do trust you, I will. Uh, so trust is a big value of mine. And, uh, and, you know, so I'm texting the pastor going, hey, you know, how, have you met Christian? Has he been there? And he's telling me, yeah. And then you, about three weeks ago, give me a call. I'm at Matt Brantner Coffee Company because now i got to be by coffee shop, you know, like i got to do both. And so I'm at Matt's shop, and he calls, yeah, let me, let me, let me talk. And uh, he says, uh, at Mr. Hans, or Hans, or whatever you said, uh, hey, I'm going to get baptized at my church, uh, and I'd like for you to do it. And I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't really count for our baptism numbers as a church. Uh, so I would really prefer you get baptized here so that we can then put it on the chart that I keep. I keep a chart of baptisms in a given year, and I really would not like them to get credit. Uh, they're big enough, and they baptize enough people. You know, I, I was texting the pastor recently. I was like, there you are, you know, you big church folk taking people that I've been ministering to, and I got to go to your church and baptize them. Um, so now, I, I did say that to the pastor as a joke, but I didn't say that to Christian on the phone. My answer was, of course, of course. So I'll be gone next week, baptizing Christian at his church. Um, and... Uh, and I, I share that. Not because uh, I'm cool, because really I'm not, and anybody who knows me can testify. But I say that because when there is unity of mission, then what somebody I've never met shares with him, and what another person I've never met shares with him, and what another person I've never met shares with him is the same thing that I'm sharing with him, and then he goes somewhere else and they share with him, so that the world may know, right? So that the world may know that you sent me. And so when we are able to speak about Jesus, the gospel message, in a consistent, compelling, and loving, patient way with people, it becomes overwhelming. For some. And for others, they're totally disinterested. But the unity of love and the unity of activity and the unity of mission to declare his goodness is with a purpose so the world may know. And very often, we are one link on the chain of somebody's trusting in Jesus. And we might, we might have a conversation with somebody at work. Derek was talking to me about work life, and many of you talked to me about ministry life. Or, you know, and I, I don't have a, I'm, I'm, I joke about being a professional Christian. I'm really, you guys are all doing significant ministry day in and day out in your jobs, in your homes, in your lives, in your neighborhoods. Like, I get paid for it. You get paid for what you do. We're in the same thing. We're in the same business. And, um, and, and when uh, we hear that, it's really, you go, man, I just feel like we're not, I'm not, I feel like I'm not being effective. I feel like I'm not getting something across. And we need to realize that in what God is doing that started before you and is going to continue on after you, that you come into somebody's life at one specific time, but as those same people, those specific people start saying the same thing, it might take years. I got people I've been praying for a lot longer than since uh, December 24th, 2021, that seem to have made no movement toward the Lord. Um, 
let alone any, uh, like, but, but like again, links on the chain. And as we are able to do that, and we are sure about the main things of Jesus and the message that we have, then what starts to happen? You go, man, I'm hearing this from everybody, right? I'm hearing this from everybody. Clearly, you, maybe you've even used this phrase. Clearly, if you, if you don't believe in God, you go, clearly somebody wants me to know something. You go, well, I can tell you who somebody is. And I can tell you what, I want, what they want you to know. That's the type of unity that we have that is so compelling, that is evangelistic, that results in people trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so very often churches run to like, well, how can we be more unified? Like, what can we do? Right? Does that mean we need to be less mad at each other? Does that mean we need to be less honest? I mean, like, like, do we need to have all the same policies and procedures? And there is not a bigger policies and procedures person at this church than me. I, I promise you. I promise you. You will not outpolicy me. Um, so, yeah. It's not even a battle, really. Like, it's unfortunate. It's embarrassing. But, again, as much as I love that, unity around the person and work of Jesus to save lost men, women, and children is superior, is superior. And there are many times I go, well, that doesn't really fit the, the schematic, right? Like, you got to count as my baptism, buddy. You can't count as uh, Jeremiah's. That's not fair. I don't really feel that way. But I tell the story because it, that's the kind of unity that is compelling. That's the kind of work that is done. And so you go, what is God doing here? Why do I keep hearing this? Right? Because people who are sure of who Jesus is continue to speak about who Jesus is. And those who don't know him go, what is the deal with that? What is the deal with that? So that the world may know. Unity has a purpose. And the purpose isn't just to feel unified. Right? That's actually not, the purpose isn't just to feel better. It's, it's declarative. It's God glorifying. It results in other people being a part of it. One of the things I... It, it, I remember I, I shared before, I, I went, on a, I went on a con, to a conference one time and I was told who you're taking with you and I was like, I don't want to take anybody uh, because I really don't like people and you know, it's not my style. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I do things on my own, that's better. And uh, so he goes, no, you can't go anywhere without taking somebody. I was like, this is the stupidest rule I've ever heard. Uh, I don't even know what you mean, but, but it becomes, a, it becomes a, a rallying cry because you go, yeah, hey, I'm going to go do this, will you come? I'm going to go do this, will you come? I'm going to go do this, right? right? And so, so like conferences, trips, whatever, like it's, always, now it's just got em, emblazoned in me, like, uh, hey, you have to have, bring people along, participate in these things together. Why? Because we're talking, we're sharing, we're hearing about Jesus, we're communicating about Jesus together, and you just never know, that's the thing, you never know what the Lord's going to do. If we've been here together in the Gospel of John, i got to slow it down, if we've been here together in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, the wind blows where it will. And he uses that to illustrate how you are not sure how, when, and why the Holy Spirit will impress himself upon somebody in such a way that they would Trust in the Lord. That you, that, that's the part of ministry that you can't control. You, you can't do it. You don't know when. Like you don't know when the Spirit might do a work. You, don't, like you know that there are certain conditions that make it much more clear, like the preaching of God's Word, prayer in the community, being together, discussing it, memorizing it. Like, like there are certainly conditions that result in Spirit activity because they're the things that God has revealed are how the Spirit ministers <laughs> 
But still then, I can't hear go, well, I expect 12 of the 80 people in the room to have a significant moment. It might be one, it might be all of us, it might be, I don't know, I don't know. Because the Spirit does what he wills as people come to a greater knowledge of the Lord. All that's point one. I told you there's point two and then some, some other pieces, but we could almost be done. The next thing he prays for is that the glory, this is a weird one, the glory is to be seen and shared, verses 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is interesting. You look at verse verse 24, and you go, what does that mean? Is this Jesus' ascension where they see the resurrected Lord, and they go, this is awesome. Like, this is the glory that is shared. This is what it is. I don't think that's what it is. I think in Jesus' prayer, he is praying for a future fulfillment, eschatological, an end times, future reality that his disciples can see something about him that they have not been able to see but has existed since the foundation of the world. I pray that they could be with me to see my glory that you have given me. Now, why might I say that? Well, I'm going to go to another verse that this guy John uses, but this is the uh, letter, epistle, 1 John. Beloved, 1 John 3, 2. We are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Same guy, John 17, writing 1 John 3. So clearly there's something in the way John thinks, which is we have something now, but when we see him, We will be like him because we will see him as he is. Now let's take that. Let's go back to what Jesus said in verse 24. I pray they may be with me to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now what we then get to realize, I think, is that Jesus is praying for, you've heard this phrase already, not yet, but Jesus is praying that, that future reality, which will be where we see him again, resurrected body, returning, making all things right, but we get to experience that life through the Spirit. We get to experience that life through the church even now, that he has begun that and the resurrection has begun that. The sending of the Spirit continues that and it's moving towards a sure and final time when all who are the Lord's are with him. And so Jesus is praying for how they operate now and he's also praying that they, how they will operate then. I pray that they will be able to see this. And John is affected by that to the point that even when he's writing this epistle later, he's going, we are his children, which he writes about in John chapter 1. But as his children, we still have not been all the way there. We haven't seen it all yet. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is the person who he was before the foundations of the world, that we get to glorify, worship, exalt, reflect that in a way that we currently, we really currently can't. Not that we won't, but that we just can't because we haven't seen it. And so in every Christian's heart, there should be a longing, a desire for something else. We should never be fully satisfied in the world that is, though we shouldn't be embittered by it, We shouldn't be 
fully satisfied with the life that is because, because the Christian isn't. The New Testament account and witnesses show us as much. There's more to come. And Jesus is praying, I would say, even now for what is to come. That we can be with Jesus and see his glory. We've seen it in part, but we shall see, will see so much more. He again explains the basis, verses 25 and 26. A righteous father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That ends Jesus' prayer. There's no amen. Wish there were, like we need amens. But like he just ends and it moves on. There's no for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. There's no other statement like that. He just stops asking his father for things and goes on to his death. That's where we move from here. He prays that we would recognize that love, the love with which the father has loved may be in them and I in them. And then where does he turn? But to the cross. That's where he goes next. And so when I think about us as a church family, I think about two things. Not surprising things, we've been saying them the whole time. Focus on the main things and rejoice in the future promises. Keep those at the center. Focus on the main things, that our unity comes from our understanding of Jesus, his mission, his purpose, who he is. We speak of that regularly, or we should Because that becomes for us that true north, that continual going back to the fount, remembering who he is, speaking about him, thinking about our lives and reflection of how good he has been to us. Reading the word, knowing that the spirit uses the word to help us reflect this, to root us more surely and confidently in what it says that we might better reflect the Lord. And as we continue, because remember, he's just talking in the prayer prior, we did last week about sending into the world, remembering that as we're sent and we continue on to pointing people to Jesus, that we don't get caught up on secondary or tertiary issues in regard to that mission. Because the secondary and tertiary issues with regard to that mission don't save. Many moons ago, I told a story about, uh, it wasn't really, it was probably John, this is like our 50th sermon on John, 51st, something like that. So it, when I say many moons, it was a long time ago. We've been in John a year, uh, minus a couple of Sundays. So remember the story of the lady who asked me if I was born again and I had no idea what she meant? I, she goes, hey, well, you know, I, I, but are you born again? I'm like, I don't know if we're speaking the same language. I'm I, like, I'm confused. Like, I know you're a Christian, but are you born again? And I'm like, you've lost me. Like, like, like you've lost me. Or the people who go, yeah, well, you're a Christian, but are you a disciple? I'm like, I don't even understand that difference. Like, like, like are, you're a Christian, but are you a disciple? Like, a disciple is like a more serious version of the regular person. Um, so, like, is that, how, is that how that works? Where it's like you got Christians and then disciples, but you become a disciple later? Like, I don't know. If you look at the, the testimony of the book of Acts, they just kind of call everybody the disciples, which I think builds in an expectation on who everybody's supposed to be. Yeah, we kind of created the subcategory Christian to make us feel better for not pursuing our faith with any kind of zeal. It's like, so, so like, hey, yeah, well, are you a Christian or are you a disciple? I'm like, uh, uh yeah, yeah. Unity on mission. Because when we make it about secondary, tertiary, other things, you know who gets lost besides the person we're speaking to? Jesus gets lost. 
the message of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that gets lost as we make it about other things. Well, do you know that Christians only vote this way? Like, well, I guess I'm not Christian then. Like, 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 like I, don't, I don't know, right? Because we, we start to really exalt other things above that gospel message, almost for fear that the Spirit won't do the work of convicting, of saving, of transforming, of sanctifying. The prayer of Jesus, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. It's almost like we're afraid that that won't happen, so we need to, be, we need to get a few shots in on the front end. And it destroys our unity. Now, I don't mean unity as ecumenical reality where we diminish our doctrine so that we can talk about Jesus more, which is sometimes people's fear. Um, I want you, I'll put it this way, I want you to have rock-solid Christology. I do. I want you to understand why you believe what you believe about Jesus. I want you to understand who he is. I would love for you to memorize some creeds and just help root some of those truths about, about our faith into your bones so you can talk about it. I love that. But if you misquote the creed, you know that somebody else still might get saved. Like, like, like it, it's really crazy how, how when you get your words wrong, the spirit still moves and, and people's lives are changed. I live that every Sunday when I say stupid things and you guys think that they were all right. So focus on the main things. Who amen me? Christian, was that you? You were turning into a, a longtime church member far too early, buddy. You got about 10 more years before you get all crotchety about me. I'm going to fit right in with Jeremiah. Rejoice in future promises of what Jesus is doing and the glory that will be revealed. Can you, can you imagine, just think for a moment, that everything that you know about Jesus and what will be still when you see him, you will not be able to actually comprehend what you're seeing. Like you won't be able to go, hey, this is exactly how I imagined it. Because it won't be. This is exactly how I imagined his return. This is exactly how I imagined the new heaven and the new earth. This is exactly how I'm like, you won't be. Because, because we're getting glimpses. Enough to comprehend what it might be, what it, what, what, it, what, it, what it would look like. But still, even when we see that Jesus returning, conquering king, it will look totally different than even how we might imagine it. No one's going to be going, yep, I knew it, I knew it, I painted this picture. Because there is still more to be understood, comprehended about him. But not more in the sense of like he's holding out on us for the message of salvation. Just more. There's more that we get to see, so we hold on to that. And the great thing is, even in this prayer, we have a way to live now and a hope of how things will be later. Jesus prays that for us before he goes to die for us. By his spirit, we can live this out. We can, we can do these things. And so I simply want to take just a moment and pray this for us.